0: Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Uh, my guest on today's podcast is my friend Connor Berg. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: Um, but for, the, for any of you that haven't listened, um, the platform here is LGBTQ Latter-day Saints to share their story. That's most of our podcasts. I connected with this space, as many of you know, while serving as a singles word bishop. I had priesthood responsibility for a couple of gay men. It was the first time I really let gay people tell me about being gay. And it just significantly changed me. It opened my heart, kind of broke my heart. And I felt impressed to step in this space with my release, um, just to bring us together as the same human family. And storytelling is what opened my heart and helped me better understand. So this is a platform where brave people come forward and share their stories. It's kind of the center of vulnerability, As you know, we often do more stories than just LGBTQ, but that's kind of the focus of our podcast, and that's where Connor is bravely um, stepping forward to share his podcast or his story. So, Connor, I'll kind of turn it over to you. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Awesome. My name is Connor Berg. I am 22 years old, and I grew up in a little town in Davis County called South Weber, I'm the youngest of five kids, and I have nine nieces and nephews that I love spending time with. I also really love to hike, ski, cliff jump, wakeboard, and do pretty much anything else outside. I serve my mission in Jacksonville, Florida, and I'm now at Utah State University studying human development and family science, which I hope to use to become a marriage and family therapist.
0: And there we connected with Patrick Patterson.
1: Yes. Tell our listeners about
0: who Patrick Patterson is in case he's listening. He deserves a shout out.
1: (laughs) So Patrick was pretty famous in my mission. He has some awesome suits of all different colors. Um, He served or he lived in Waycross, Georgia, which was um, in the north part of my mission. There's only one zone that was in our mission that was in Georgia at the time. And I was blessed to be able to spend 10 and a half months just in that zone. So I really got to know Patrick there. um, And he's an awesome, an awesome member up there.
0: So we've you could scroll back. Patrick, I think, has been on two episodes um, sharing his story. Convert to church, black Latter-day Saint, gay Latter-day Saint. Um, spends a lot of time helping people learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ in board mission assignments. So tell us your story. Um, I'll just turn it over to you, Connor. Awesome.
1: So really, I remember feeling different from other kids as long as I can remember. Um, my first memory is actually in preschool and I remember that I was sitting at a desk or a table or whatever I was sitting at and I was staring down at my shoes and I remember like something had happened. I don't know what I had done or said, but I just remember thinking the thought that I was different than other kids. And unless I was careful, they were going to find out about it and it wouldn't be good. And, you know, so that was kind of like what my life was like all through, um, growing up in an elementary, you know, I had similar experiences. And the first time I remember being attracted to a guy was in fourth grade. Um, and of course I didn't know what it was at the time. Um, but now looking back, I can tell, tell that that's what it was. Um, and, you know, growing up, like I said, I have lots of older siblings and cousins and, um, during that time people used gay as a, as an insult. And a lot of the time, um, it was the worst insult they could come up with, that you know, they could think of. And I didn't know what it actually meant. I just knew that it wasn't good and that people didn't want to be associated with it and that it was really negative. And so fast forward a little bit, I was in sixth or seventh grade. So it would have been around 2010. Um, I was driving home from swim practice. Uh, My dad was driving and a song came on the radio and I had heard older kids like say that this band was gay or whatever. And... My dad asked who they were so I just told him the name of the band and then kind of without thinking just said yeah like some people think that think that they're gay. And my dad said, "Well, they're singing about girls, so they don't really sound gay." And I was confused cuz I didn't know what gay even meant, and so I asked him. And just pretty factually he told me that um gay people are people who are romantically like attracted to people of the same sex. And I remember the bottom kind of falling out of my stomach a little bit because just before that, I'd been talking with a friend and he was describing to me how he felt around this girl that I that he really liked. And, you know, I thought that I'd never really felt those things for anyone before. And then as my dad told me what being gay meant, I realized I had felt that and it had just been for another guy. And so that was terrifying for me because the only thing I ever knew was, was negative. And, you know, as the sixth or seventh grader, Um, I didn't tell anyone. And I thought a lot, you know, and just as I kept listening to conversations around me, it became very clear that being gay did not fit in with the church and it didn't fit in with school and it didn't fit in with my friends. And it wasn't something um, that I wanted to be associated with. And at that time, all I had heard, I'm sure there were success stories, but all I had heard was about like kids getting kicked out when their parents found out they were gay and Um, I wasn't interested in that happening to me, really. So I uh, kept that little secret to myself. Um, And it was difficult because my parents were really, really good at creating opportunities for us growing up from whenever we were young um, to develop our own testimonies. And so I feel like by that point, I really did have my own testimony, my own belief of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it caused such a split in my mind. That I just felt so angry and bitter because all these things that I wanted, like a mission and a temple marriage and all of this, um, it just seemed like that was being taken from me. And
0: talk about that, just help the listeners understand why that created this split or this, these feelings of anger and bitterness. And thanks for being so honest.
1: Um, I think it was just because, you know, I had had this vision of a life that I wanted um, that was in line with, with the gospel. And all of the things that I was feeling were very contradictory to all of that, and not even just the things that I was feeling necessarily, but the things that I had learned about being gay from being in the church or being around other people that that didn't really understand it or try to understand it. They just um, talked about it in a way that was very um, negative and just like you know that like they didn't want to deal with anything like that, and that it just wasn't a good a good person to be really
0: that's helpful thank you
1: um so it got so bad actually that it um i got really bad depression um and so through most of junior high and some of high school i was actually um cutting self-harm um and so you know that all became very overwhelming for me just as i was in junior high and that lasted until about ninth grade i think
0: tell listeners that aren't familiar with cutting is what cutting is
1: Okay. So it's just like, I'm a form of self-harm. And for me, it was just because I got so overwhelmed by all of the things that I was feeling and dealing with that, you know, I think my brain was just really overwhelmed and cutting was a way for me, at least that just kind of like cleared my head. It caused pain obviously. um, And so it, it kind of like forces your head to clear out and you can't, think of anything. You can't hate yourself. You can't be dealing with all of that just because you're focused on something else. And that was the only way I could really get my head to to clear.
0: Um, Thanks for sharing that. You know, I recognize that there's a lot of nuance around someone who's cutting themselves. And I've learned that, you know, good therapy is really important. And I've learned that's sort of the iceberg principle sometimes where you see what's cutting is going on but you really need to set that aside and figure out what's the full story here that's leading someone to do that behavior. And so I'm glad that you recognize and kind of connected the dots and got therapy. And somebody once told me it's sort of like taking one type of pain they felt and transferring it into a different type of pain. The physical pain of cutting was sort of numb the other kind of pain that they were feeling. And that was very helpful for me, Just to, and it helped me have empathy for the other kind of pain they were feeling. Connor, because I recognize that I can identify with something that was cutting themselves because I've accidentally cut myself Mm -hmm. and that's really painful. So it helped me understand that they'd rather transfer the pain they're feeling emotionally to that kind of pain. And so I don't know if that resonates with you or if yours was a different sort of experience.
1: Yeah.
0: So yeah. So thanks for just being so honest and vulnerable.
1: So I was, I was really lucky though, because I actually had a sister-in-law at the time. So like I said, my siblings are older. So three of them were married while I was in junior high. And I had the sister-in-law. She was from the East Coast. And her and my brother were living in Boston at the time. He was going to graduate school. And she had gone to school to be like a mental health counselor. And she had worked as a rape crisis counselor. And so she was the first one that found out I was cutting. And she was also the first one I came out to. And I don't remember specifics about that experience, really. I found that my brain has blocked out a lot of junior high and high school. I do remember that it was over text. And I remember I was crying a lot. And I remember that it was positive overall. I know that she told me that she loved me. And I know that she was a positive and strong support. And for that, I'm immeasurably grateful um, that my first experience coming out to someone, I had that positivity. Um, because I was sure that that didn't exist, um, in my world. And so that was, that was a really big help to me. And I'm very grateful for that.
0: Would you say what grade are you in? Do you remember when you came out to Ashley? I would have
1: been in ninth grade.
0: Ninth grade. Yeah.
1: Yep. And so, you know, she wanted me to go get help in therapy, right? Cause I was cutting myself and, um, she, I did not want to go. She tried everything. And of course she's on the other side of the country. So there's not a ton she can do. Um, but she wanted me to talk to my parents about it and I didn't want to tell my parents cause I was still scared. And, um, eventually like it got to the, the point where she was like, I can just let them know like they'll pay for it and they don't have to know what's really going on. And like, we can get you there. And I, I still wouldn't do it. And so, you know, during the same time period was around when there was lots of, um, news about like gay marriage becoming legal or, or whatever. and I think I was really good at being overly sensitive to things people would say about gay marriage and about gay people. And I remember getting in lots of like arguments with my parents about it. And, you know, I think I thought they were arguments. They were never like heated or anything about it. I think they just kind of thought we were having a discussion, but I remember being pretty mad. Um, and I remember after one of these like discussions, um, I was, I was talking to my dad and he must've asked something about why, like I, I got so heated about it or something. And I told him that there was a friend in our ward that I knew that was scared, that was gay and was scared to come out to his parents because he was scared of being kicked out. And um, I remember my dad, he just looked me right in the eye and he said, well, you tell your friend that if he gets kicked out, he always has a place here to come live with us. And of course I was talking about myself. I didn't really have that friend. Um, and that was like a pretty big shock to me because I just had never expected that. And I think he knew that I was talking about myself. And so, um, it was probably the next day. Um, my parents wanted to talk to me in their room, which was always kind of a little bit of a scary thing in our family, just because, you know, if it was in mom and dad's bedroom, then it was, you know, a private conversation. And, uh, They just kind of sat me down and they said, you know, like, we feel like you might be gay uh, or something to that effect. And again, I don't remember specifics, but I said, no, I'm not. And they said, well, like, we really, we think that you might be. And I was like, no. And that went back and forth for a while. And eventually, like, I admitted it and we talked about it. And um, I remember that they told me that they loved me and that they wanted me to be happy um, and that I'd always have a place with them.
0: Are you glad? Parents often don't know what to do in those situations. Some parents just patiently wait for their child to come out if they have a feeling. Some parents do what your parents did, act on their impressions that we need to, this is the right time. And they even ask some follow-up questions. Um, do you? I guess it's sort of your advice to parents. It sounds like your parents did a great job and it was the right for your situation. Do you have any recommendations to parents listening that think they might have an LGBTQ ninth grader or high school age kid?
1: Um, like you said, I think it varies a lot by situation. And for me, it was very helpful that they they did that because then we could have an open dialogue about it. And I don't think I would have ever done that for a while. Um, but I really think, you know, God knows your children better than you do, and so really to Get in a place and learn to get revelation um, so that you can ask him and he can tell you what is the best thing to do for each individual child. And I think that's what my parents did, and that's why they approached things the way they did, and, and I'm very grateful for that.
0: I love your dad's answer. I love the way you phrased it up. I think that's the best you could do right then. That was great. And I love his answer, looking the right in the eye and tell you how to respond. Mm-hmm. And maybe parents, we could have those conversations. Cause here's Connor trying to wonder how you, your parents would respond. And I think we can, it's okay in our culture and in our family settings and in church settings. If you're a priesthood leader or a parent, say, you know, this is how I'd respond. Um, and maybe talk about that even earlier in elementary school as you're teaching kids about sexual orientation. That would be an appropriate time in that general time frame to start creating a framework that You know, there are some people, just like your dad factually answered, that are attracted to the same sex. And if there's anybody in our family that feels that way, this is how we would treat them. So go ahead and keep sharing your story.
1: Um, So, of course, my parents put me into therapy soon after that conversation. And again, I was so grateful for how they did it, because they chose a therapist who was LDS, but he wasn't associated with the church as a therapist. And he was actually a gay man in a mixed orientation marriage with three kids. And I remember in our first meeting with him, my parents were there, and he made it very clear that his job was to find the best path for his client, whether that was in the church or out of the church. And I'm sure he had told my parents that when they, you know, had first contacted him. And that was really helpful for me to see because, again, it showed, you know, that my parents really wanted my happiness and that they were going to be there and support me in whatever I ended up choosing. And, you know, I think it's important to note that, like, just because I started going to therapy, things didn't automatically get better. And I see a lot of people that start going to therapy and then stop. And, you know, I went for four four years before my mission. um, And it took a lot of time and effort on my part because, you know, most of junior high, in high school, like I didn't want to be alive and I didn't want to deal with the things I was dealing with. And it took a lot of time and effort, um, to make progress, but it did help so much and that, that progress did come, which I think is important to know that it's not going to change right away.
0: Take us back to just why you didn't want to be alive. I think we kind of understand, but can you put that into words? Why? Yeah.
1: So I think, you know, that the split that I was talking about, that dichotomy between what I felt and what I believed was really difficult for me. And it seemed for a long time, like if I could just die and go to heaven, then like it would be fixed. And like, I wouldn't be gay anymore. And like everything would be okay. And I remember there was a point where someone said something that insinuated that like being gay would, would follow you to heaven. And I was like, then what's even the point of dying? I was like, there's no point in dying if it's just going to follow me to heaven. Um, And so at that time, you know, I mean, I guess I didn't want to die anymore, but I just wanted to like not exist, you know, like I wanted to just blink out of existence and just not have to deal with anything because it was just so hard for me to see how there could be any sort of reconciling between what I felt towards men and also what I knew that I loved and believed in the gospel
0: and maybe you're going to get to this later. So you can, the question I'm about to ask you, you can say, I'll wait and last that later. But here's the question. If you want to answer it now or later, what would you say to your younger self? Here you are 22 in a better spot. Um, and this is you talking to someone who feels the way you did at one point. Will you just talk to that young man or young woman?
1: I really think that the the biggest thing is to really be able to understand and feel of, of God's love and just, it's something that I thought that I couldn't have because of the attractions that I had. And I didn't feel like God loved me. And I understand now why I felt that way. And I also understand why that's not true. And so the biggest thing that has helped me is being able to understand that and really feel that and be able to connect with Heavenly Father in a way where he can communicate with me about, you know, why I have these attractions and why I'm going through these things. Um, And just to hold on because it really does get better. I mean, it's still hard. It never gets easy, but like it gets, it gets better. And a lot of times, you know, it's hard to believe that that will happen.
0: Thank you. Great answer. Yeah, keep talking us about high school. It sounds like you're getting thinking about a mission.
1: Yeah. So high school was better than junior high. Still not great. Um, I made a lot of friends. I was was good at making friends, but I always wondered, you know, in the back of my mind, like, would they still be my friend if they knew, like, who I really was? And so that was always hard because, I, you know, I had these friends, but I didn't feel that close to them just because that was something I wondered. And I was better at making friends with girls than guys. And I ended up telling some girls that I was friends with my senior year and I had positive experiences with that. Um, I really only had one negative one, but I mean, like it's high school, so like there's got to be negative experiences in high school. Um, And, you know, my senior year of high school was the first time that I ever considered like maybe dating a guy. I think, you know, I'd gotten to the point where I wasn't cutting and I wasn't depressed anymore. And well, not as depressed anymore. And that's what I ended up doing. I actually ended up dating a guy kind of my senior year of high school. And it was interesting because it was such a good experience for me. And it was so healing because I, you know, I'd hated myself this whole time growing up and what I was feeling. And I thought that no one like could love me or deal with that. And here was like this guy that, He knew everything about me and still wanted to be around me. And, you know, even because of some of those things was why he wanted to be around me. And so, you know, that was a really good experience and a healing experience for me. Um, but also a senior year came mission papers. And so I knew I still wanted to go on a mission. And so I started working on my papers and I was honest with my Bishop just about, you know, that I had kissed a guy or whatever. And so that actually ended up delaying my mission papers significantly. So by the time I submitted my papers to the time I got my call was about five months. And they came back from church headquarters twice with um, different things that I needed to do or like that they needed more information on or more clarification. And then my poor bishop would have to ask for it. And it was clear that was the last thing that he wanted to be doing. Um... And it was pretty frustrating, too, because literally all I had done was kiss a guy. And like I knew all of these friends that I had that had done way more than that with girls and they were getting cleared to go on their missions way faster than I was. Um, So it felt really unfair and really annoying. And, you know, like it took five months. So during that time, like I kind of almost just gave up on it ever coming because it just seemed like it would never actually happen. And I actually felt really content about that. I felt content, you know, about maybe staying with the guy I was with and and going to college and getting started on school. And the day I graduated high school, we came home from my graduation ceremony, and it was in the mailbox. And I remember seeing it, and my heart just, like, sank. And I was like, no, like, I don't want to go. And that night, I opened the call, and... It wasn't a magical moment. I still didn't want to go. Um, and I found out that I would be leaving actually four weeks from when I opened my call. And wow. two of those weeks, I was out of the country. And another one of those weeks, we had like a steak errands camp is what it was called. It was like a missionary camp. And so literally, I went from, you know, opening my mission call, literally in my boyfriend's hoodie. I was wearing his hoodie when I opened my mission call to leaving on a mission in four weeks. And it was something I never thought would happen. And I was... I remember just that night I went for a run and I just ran until I couldn't anymore. And then I just laid down and I cried because it seemed like I had finally found somewhere where I was happy and I was going to be leaving it all behind to go to church full time for two years. And I think the reason why I did that was because I did have a testimony and I knew that Jesus Christ was my savior. I knew my heavenly parents loved me and you know, that didn't make it easier. It actually made me kind of bitter that I knew that because then I like had to go. And so, you know, that's that's what I did. And I had watched kids, you know, through high school just kind of like abandon their testimony, kind of like, you know, they were able to forget it and move on. And especially other gay kids that did that, I watched how much happier they became when that like dichotomy dropped out of their lives. And I think that was something I I longed for and that I wanted and I just couldn't do it. Um, I couldn't actually abandon it or forget it. And so, you know, as much as I wanted to, it was something that I knew was true and right, and it was something I needed to do. And so about the week before I left on my mission, I was at that stake, Aaron's Camp. And that was also not a great experience for me. I was surrounded by all of these people that I just thought were so straight, and they um, were on a path to a future that it seemed like they actually wanted. And I did not think that I wanted the future that I was on the path to with going on a mission. And the last night of that camp, we had a testimony meeting. And I remember listening to the testimonies and I was so angry and bitter because these people would get up and they would talk about things that they were going through that they felt like were hard. And none of them sounded that hard to me, like I wanted to switch places with them. and. Like it got to the point, it was dark, luckily, so no one could tell I was crying. But I just remember praying and telling Heavenly Fathers, like, I can't do this. Like, I can't go on a mission and I can't handle this life. Like, with the way I'm feeling, like something's got to change and I just can't do it. And I didn't hear any of the rest of the testimonies for that meeting, but I did receive some answers and assurance from God during that time. And it was barely enough to get me to go on my mission, but it was enough. And, you know, I've come to learn that that's how God operates. He he really only gives us barely enough to to make it through or to do whatever we're doing, because I think that real spiritual strength that we build is right there on that thin edge between what we can do and what we can't do. And, you know, sometimes that help doesn't come until after you feel like you can't go any further and you have to go a little bit further before before it comes. But um, that's something that I've learned is is typical of God, at least in my situation.
0: That's a great segment, I'm Connor. um, Connor. I love you taking us to that testimony meeting and and being honest with how that was a hard experience for. You. And as you share that, I uh, I sit with you in the pain. I wish I could go give you a big hug, or I wish we had a way you could bear feel safe to bear your testimony and share your story. And I guess you're doing that now and you have done that, but it helps us build empathy and vulnerability and authentic connection and help recognize the complexity of your situation. You're honest when you say, I wish I lost my testimony in the church. Um, But some people call it a double bind, you know, that you're in one father of two gay sons framed it up for me. And that was very helpful You're using the same general language. You also talk about sometimes the limitations of what I would call our institutional church, that your mission call was processed very differently than your straight friends who had some level of slip ups, obviously, in some situations, um, more than yours. And that can be testimony breaking for some people just that sort of inconsistency. How did you maintain your testimony in that unfairness?
1: I think it was. Through what I felt when I was, you know, kind of dating this guy, like I felt a peace and a love that I hadn't felt previously, and it was, I think, the closest thing I had felt in myself to God's love at that time. And you know, I knew that it w- it wasn't like evil what I was doing. Like I knew it wasn't a bad thing. Like you know, was commonly. Believed then, and I knew that if it was, God would have you know been telling me that. And so I think I was able to recognize that it was just limitations of of humans that haven't had the same experiences I've had. Um, and if I had had the experiences that they had, you know, I would probably feel a similar way to them, just as they would feel a similar way to me if they had had my experiences. And so I think really just realizing that it, it was institutional and that you know that wasn't necessarily from God or like evidence of him not being happy with me.
0: Thank you. There's a lot of grace and in, in that given to the people sort of on the other side of the figurative table making these decisions. It's a very thoughtful answer. Yeah. Um, uh, tell us about your mission unless there's any... Is it okay if I ask how your boyfriend responded to you going on a mission? Yeah. Yeah. Um... We ask that question for straight people, you know, when they've got somebody in their life. So I think it's a perfectly appropriate question to ask you.
1: I think he had always known I was going to go. He, when he like found out I was still dead serious on going, it was, it was difficult for him, but I think it was something he always expected and knew. And he was very gracious in how he responded to that and was supportive of it. And, you know, like we made it clear we weren't dating once I left on my mission, um, but we still kept in contact periodically, um, and talked after that. And, you know, I, I emailed him a couple of times while I was gone too. And
0: it's great. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about your mission.
1: So some things are better on my mission and some things are worse because, you know, no one your age is, is dating or like obsessed with that at that point. And so that made things easier. Um, but I did, feel more alone during those tears years than I've ever felt. And I think it was, you know, I was scared to connect or really, you know, try to connect with elders because I was just terrified that somehow they would know that I was gay or somehow they'd find out. Um, and then, you know, historically I'd connected better with girls, but when you're on a mission, it's frowned upon to (laughs) connect with the sisters. So, and you know, like, I was accused of flirting with sisters multiple times during my mission, um, by other elders. Um, uh, but it didn't bother me cause I knew my mission president had my mission paperwork that said I was gay. So I was like, sure, like report me to president Lee. Like it's going to be fine. Like I'm not worried about it. Um, cause I knew I wasn't flirting and I'm, I know the sisters knew that I wasn't either. I was just not scared of them. So it just, you know, kind of took some of the elders by surprise, I think. Um, But yeah, so with all of that, like it was just two years of being very, you know, not having an emotional connection really with anyone. And that was, that was very lonely for me. Um, About halfway through the mission, when I was actually serving in Georgia in Patrick Patterson's neck of the woods, um, my mission president's wife, um, I guess Scott Promptings or she just decided that all of our, like all of her missionaries needed to start learning how to receive personal revelation better. And this was something that me and her really bonded over. And so for the rest of my mission, she'd send me talks or articles or tips or whatever about receiving revelation. And I would share my successes with her and I got better at it, but, you know, nothing changed, like none of the feelings I had. And I was kind of sad about that because I was like, well, I know I'm getting revelation, but I still feel like alone and, and everything. And, you know, looking back on that, I really think that. I still just didn't have the faith or the belief that God really wanted to talk to me, um, because of my situation. Um, my whole mission I really felt like I wasn't supposed to be there because I was gay and I felt, you know, like I didn't belong and that I, I was unwanted. And
0: those are pretty powerful words. I I was unwanted. I didn't belong.
1: And I don't like, it wasn't necessarily anything anyone did specifically. Um, I, I mean, there were a lot of things said by missionaries or members about gay people and, and stuff, but I just, you know, I just didn't feel like I fit there. Um, but I, I made it through my two years and I did have some really beneficial experiences and I'm so grateful that I went, um, because I did learn a lot and I am very grateful for it, but it was just very difficult, um, in a lot of ways feeling that alone.
0: Would you do anything different um, if you were starting your mission over again about um, your sexual orientation or just where you are?
1: If I was starting over with the way I feel now about things, I would have been a lot more open, I think, with my companions. I would have been less afraid of them. Um, Luckily, I was never attracted to any of my companions. I think that was a very large tender mercy. Um, And I think just... You know, I I wouldn't be as scared of them finding out now. Would
0: you have come out to any of them?
1: I think knowing the things I know now, yes. I think if I got put back in that same exact situation before, I think it would go about the way that it did. That's honest.
0: So. <laughs> um, general advice to a young man or young woman who's gay, trans, thinking about serving a mission that is sort of kind of where you were at your point, you served. Um, What advice would you give to somebody pretty serious about serving a mission, but just not quite sure how this is going to work out being LGBTQ?
1: That's a great question. I think you're probably going to get tired of me saying this by the end of the podcast, but I really think seeking for that personal revelation from God, because he can tell you things that maybe will work for you or won't work for you while you're in the field. And I think, you know, not becoming hyper-focused on everything that it's easy for a missionary to be hyper-focused on, um, just realizing that, you know, things are a little bit different and not everything is as black and white as it always seems like it is on a mission. Um, And really just being comfortable with yourself so that you can use... Um, Your unique talents and abilities that you have as an LGBTQ member to connect with other missionaries and members and people that you're teaching out in the field, because I was not comfortable with who I was at all. And so it was very difficult for me to do that at that time.
0: Did you come out to your mission president, even though you kind of knew he knew?
1: no. I don't think so. I did come out to my mission president's wife though. She would conduct interviews separately from him, but about at yeah, the same time.
0: Kind of in the hallway as the official yeah. interviews going <laughs> yeah. on. That's where really the mission president learned what's going on. The mission <laughs> is through those interviews with his wife.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I did come out to her and, you know, we had conversations about it and she was amazing. Um, and I love her a lot.
0: It's great. Great job. Yeah, listeners, you've heard me tell a couple stories of Elder Carpenter serving in California, and he came out before his mission, came out to his mission president, and his mission president said, instead of saying, don't talk about this, he said, will you please share this with the whole mission? Will you help us be, um, and you kind of go... (laughs) That'd be terrifying. (laughs) But he, he, instead of sort of wanting to, he just took this part of him and said, this is us becoming a better mission, having a gay missionary. So, we have a better culture so we can better teach LGBTQ investigators. And so, we just look at this great blessing for the mission to have a gay missionary that was willing to talk about it. And I just thought that's making progress. Yeah. Another missionary on Facebook came out on his mission on Facebook um, as gay. And as I read all those comments, and I'm not saying you should have done this or anybody should do this, it's back to your principle of personal revelation, but I read those comments and All of them were great, but his his companion commented. And I thought, well, this is going to—and his companion just says, thank you for being a great disciple of Christ. I love you, Elder. And I just thought that would make our heavenly parents happy. Yeah, definitely. To see, I assume, a straight companion responding to his gay companion, not getting all weirded out or funny or thinking Mm. this is crazy, even just actually thinking it's going to help our companionship. Because our goal is to bring people into Christ. And uh, my companion sharing this about him will help us um, reach more people than we could have, you know. Yeah. So anyway, um, keep sharing your story. You're going to come home from your mission.
1: Yes. So I came home and I had promised myself on my mission I would never date a guy once I got home. I had just decided it would be good to just marry a girl real quick right away. So I didn't, you know, have any time to be tempted, which was a really bad idea. So I'm glad that didn't happen. Um, And, you know, I had an experience pretty soon after I got home with one of my friends that made me really reevaluate and look hard at what I wanted in my life. And it also made it very clear that I wasn't ready or prepared or even desirous yet to start dating girls. And so, you know, I was in the temple at least once a week after my mission, um, doing a lot of praying about my future and what I should be doing. And... I remember the exact bench I was sitting on in the, in the Ogden temple. And I got this, this prompting that I should try dating guys. And I thought, I don't think that's an answer you can get in the temple. I was like, I must've got that wrong. Hold up. So I went back and like, I prayed again. And like the answer came, i probably did it like four or five times because I was like, I don't, this doesn't seem like an answer I should be getting. Um, but it was so, um, at this time, my parents were actually living in California but they were back and forth between Utah and California a lot. And at at this particular day, they were at home in Utah, which I'm grateful for. So I went home and I, I talked with my parents and I told them, you know, what I had felt and what I'd experienced. And they said, well, you know, like if that's like revelation, you feel like you got, then, then I think you should pursue it and follow it. And maybe that's your, your path for this life. And maybe there are things you need to learn. And, you know, we Did had, that
0: surprise you that that was their answer?
1: A little bit, um, a little bit, not a ton, but I also we also had a conversation at the same time about how this didn't mean I was leaving the church, and you know I still want to be active, um, in the church and like doing temple work and stuff. And I think that maybe if I had just gone home and told him I was like leaving the church, then it it might have been a bit of a different conversation, um. So anyway, I got a blessing from my dad um, as part of that conversation. And and then that was the direction my life was going to take. Um,
0: I love that they trusted you.
1: Yeah, I'm very grateful for that.
0: Even though they, I don't, if they were on the podcast, they could talk about how comfortable or uncomfortable they were with what the direction you felt you were headed. But I do love they trusted you. Yeah. And just trusted your process to come to that conclusion without sort of looking over your shoulder and say, well, you got the process wrong and you got the conclusion wrong. I do love that they trusted you.
1: Yeah. And, you know, actually, I think a lot of it too was was I just had been active in the church my whole life and I had gone on a mission and I had never felt happy, the like the happiness or like the peace and the love that I had felt when I was like briefly dating that guy in high school. And so I think also like I just, if I had never tried dating men again, I would have always wondered um, if I could be happier because I just wasn't feeling that happiness at that time in the church. And so really dating men was an overwhelmingly positive experience for me. And I still love and I'm so grateful for all of the people that I dated um, and all the things that I learned from them just with every relationship and with every, even just date that I went on, it was really hard for me to feel like there was a long-term future there, you know, like a future with progression. And, you know, this kind of, among other things, caused the end of one of my last relationships with men. And at that point, I just decided, you know, that it it wasn't really working. And so I was just gonna, I was gonna get back on the covenant path. I had, after, you know, a certain amount of time, I had I had never stopped going to church and I was still trying to keep up with my scriptures and my prayers, but I had, I had kind of given up on keeping a temple recommend. And so after this, I decided to to kind of get back on that covenant path because that's where I felt like I had, I had learned more about myself and my journey in life. And it turns out that a couple months after that, um, I really hadn't made any progress. Towards that, I had talked to my bishop, I think, once, and then I had missed the next meeting with him. And um, one of my really good friends that I'd known for about six months um, actually came out to me. And he had known that I was gay for a while before I knew about him. And I was convinced we weren't going to date because I was done. And, you know, I just started having all of these, like, thoughts that I'd never had about like long-term futures and like feeling like that was possible with him and you know we started hanging out a lot more and we connected um really well and we both prayed about it and felt like we should date and so and so that's what we did and that time that I was with him was some of the best months of my life easily up until that point um it really seemed just like a perfect and like fulfilling and healthy relationship and you know, he was perfect for me. It was everything I'd ever imagined. And um, I remember the exact night where we were when the spirit spoke to me and the spirit just said, you don't get to keep him either. And I ignored him because I didn't want to deal with it and I was happy. So I thought, well, that was a dumb thought and I'm just going to like skate over that. And I knew what it was, but I just was like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to engage with that. And it started getting stronger over time, and eventually it just got to the point where um, I was honest with him about it, and he he was an active member of the church too, and so he you know he understood where I was coming from with it, and um, we broke up, and I think that that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life was to walk away from that, and I don't think I can really describe the things that we were both feeling at that time. Um, but after, you know, following that prompting, I think that I just realized that if it wasn't going to work with him, then it, it really wasn't going to work with any guy because that was the happiest I had been. And I had, I had finally had these like thoughts and feelings like I could end up in a long-term relationship with him. And so um, that kind of brings me to where I am today, which is I'm active in the church and not dating men. And, you know, I'm just kind of on God's path for my life. And I feel like right now I feel prompted like that could end in a temple marriage with a woman, but it also could end up with me being single my whole life. And um, I'm not overly concerned about it. I'm just excited to see where God
0: will take me. So, This is a great story. It's a great story, one of the best we've ever done on just honoring personal revelation. And... Receiving personal revelation and and knowing that you're worthy to receive personal revelation at any time in your life, there's not a magical formula to receive personal revelation. Um, you have to maybe there is. I mean, you just it can just come at any time when you want it to come to you and when you need it. Why do you think you got that personal revelation in that relationship?
1: I think it was honestly because if I hadn't gotten that revelation and it hadn't have come with the urgency that it did, that I don't know that I ever would have left him. And I think that, you know, as I've gotten better at personal revelation, I've learned more about the path and the journey that God has for me. And I've also learned that I asked for a lot of it and was asked to be chosen to do some of the things that I was sent here to do in the previous life. And Kind of the vibe I've gotten from Heavenly Father is like, you know, I'm helping you fulfill the plan really that you had for yourself and that I have for you um, from the pre-earth life. And so I think that that's a lot of what that revelation was.
0: Talk about that phrase you said, the plan I had for myself. Expand on that, if you will, Connor.
1: I think that we had a lot more choice or say maybe in the kind of trials we would encounter here in life than we sometimes think we do. And from personal revelation, I know that I asked for certain trials and struggles um, so that I'd be able to help other people. And I don't know all that that entails, but it's been made clear to me that for me to be happy um, and feel Fulfilled here on earth, and when I return home to Heavenly Father, um, I will want to have accomplished the things that I came here to do. And you know, I think that's different for everyone. I'm not saying that you know everyone has to follow the same course of life as me to be fulfilled. That's not it at all. I think we all have very unique journeys that can take a lot of different forms. And just for me at this at in this life, that's part of what I chose and what Heavenly Father has in store for me. And. And so that's what I feel like I need to do.
0: I love that. And I just honor your personal revelation to have insight into the journey you're as part of mortality and that you kind of co-chose that, if it's okay to use that term. Because I think, listeners, that gives us all more purpose. Is And I believe that, by the way. Um, as I've given priesthood blessings to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, I felt that same impression that this isn't something that surprised God. <laughs> about you being LGBTQ, but this is something that perhaps both of you worked out. And I've had this impression a lot that as he sent you up to mortality, it was hard because he knew how hard it would be for you. Mm-hmm. But he knew you could do things for other people that wouldn't be possible without this road you're walking. So that's a little bit of the personal revelation I've received as an ally and um, in the tender moments of a priesthood blessing listener, listeners. Um, Talk about some of the things society's, wow, and you probably have heard this. I I assume I'm not putting thoughts in your brain you've never heard before, but what if I said, Connor, you're never going to be truly happy married to a woman, or you're not being authentic to being gay?
1: Um, That's definitely stuff that I've heard. Um, And, you know, I've heard it from both sides. I've heard members of the church say that you'll never be happy married to a man, and I hear people from the LGBT community tell me I'll never be happy single or married to a woman. And I think it goes back a lot to what I was saying before that, you know, people are saying those things usually with like the best intention. Like, I I mean, sometimes not, but it's all based on their experiences that they've had. And so I really firmly believe that if I grew up the way that they did and had the experiences that they had, that I would probably feel that way too. And I would think that as well. And I also believe that if they had grown up the way I did and experienced things that I have over the course of my life, that they would be more inclined to think similarly to how I do. And so it doesn't bother me because I know that they're trying their best. And I also know that I'm trying my best. And really the, the determining factor there is God. And, you know, I'm to a point in my life, um, I still have a long way to go, but I'm to the point where every night I can sit down and have a conversation with God. And he will tell me things that I need to know or that I need to hear. And having that kind of relationship and connection is invaluable to me because, you know, I, it doesn't matter what people around me say because I know what mission I have and I know that God's on my team. And I really think that that's something I had to learn because especially growing up as a gay member of the church, you don't always feel like God's on your team. Um, and you know i had to relearn things now that i'd been taught my whole life but just never believed um like that god makes no mistakes because you know people people would say that in church growing up or they'd say you know like god loves you because you're a child of god and that's your identity and these were the same people that you know i would look at them and say well if you knew who i really was and what i really felt you'd probably be like horrified and disgusted and like you wouldn't probably say that and so i had to relearn that God really doesn't make mistakes. And like you said, He has, He's created me the way I'm created and placed me where I've been placed to accomplish things that I couldn't accomplish otherwise. And, you know, I heard this once at a fireside, um, the person speaking said, instead of just telling God about your mountains, tell your mountains about your God. And that's something that really stuck with me because, you know, Jesus Christ, knows exactly what i've been feeling and that's another thing i had been taught that i didn't believe for a long time he knows what it's like to be gay and he knows what it's like to have this horrible split between you know people you love and a gospel that you know is true and he knows what it's like to be angry and bitter at heavenly father and he knows what it's like um you know to to just feel all of those negative emotions and to feel so alone and like you don't want to be alive And really being able to truly understand that and come to know that that is truth um, has been so helpful for me because, you know, it turned these attractions and this part of who I am into something that instead of keeping me from him was a way that I could become closer to him than than I had ever before thought was possible.
0: It's a great segment. Talk about your relationship with the church.
1: So, I think again, one of these it was a work in progress, and it really took um learning to understand that I belong to heavenly parents and to Jesus Christ more than I belong to a worldly organization and of course, this is their church, and so that's how we can become even closer to them. Um, but you know, looking back on history, um like my history growing up, you know, I always felt atypical because you know, I I had this, these feelings that contradicted church doctrine. It didn't seem like anyone else around me did. And, you know, but looking back through the Bible, like followers of Christ are always atypical and Christ himself was atypical. And as members of the church, we're supposed to be different from the world. We're supposed to be atypical. And, you know, I think that just kind of compounds a little bit for members of the church in my situation, because um, we're also atypical from members of the church that are atypical from the world. And it's can feel lonely. Like I've had, like, I felt like I don't belong at church. And I've also had people from the LGBTQ community tell me I don't belong in that community because I'm active in the church. And I'm like, well, like, I guess I don't belong anywhere then. And that's like really what precipitated me needing to come to an understanding that it, you know, this world is not our home and it's with our heavenly parents that we belong in with Jesus Christ.
0: Um. Talk about happiness. I love that you're honest, that the happiest you've been is when you're dating men. Um, and now you've decided that your path is, um, your hope is to marry a woman. Do you hope that you can feel that same level of happiness?
1: Um, I'm confident, yes, that I can feel the same level of happiness. I don't think it will be the same happiness. Um, you know, I think that it comes down to a lot of faith that I had to kind of relearn and build and faith in just that, that God's plan for me um, would result in more happiness than I could create for myself. And I think that, you know, I can't see exactly how he's going to do that. And I think that, you know, it might not be the happiness we are expecting and it will look different than we think maybe it should or that it will. Um, but just that trust, that he wants my happiness more than I do. And so he's going to make sure that I get that happiness. And I just have to trust that, you know, I don't know better than God and that I can't create more happiness than he can. Um, and to kind of get to believing that, I really had to change my prayers because I kind of had to change what I wanted to desire. Um, and it, It was interesting because, you know, I stopped praying for things that I felt like I wanted or things that I felt like were unfair. And this happened during the time I was dating men. I began to start um, just exercising this tiny little particle of faith saying, I can't make any changes right now. And like, I'm not in a mood where I want to make any changes right now. But like, just help me end up where you want me to be. Somehow, sometime, somewhere, just help me get there. And, you know... I wouldn't ask specific questions because I didn't want specific answers and I couldn't even handle the pressure of asking specific questions at that time. I don't think. And so all I would say was just somehow just get me to where you need me to be and somehow just help me be strong enough to make those changes when the time comes. And, you know, exercising that tiny particle of faith, I think just showed God that, you know, I didn't want to change right now, but I wanted to end up where he wanted me and I just needed his help getting me to a point where I could make those changes and would want to make those changes.
0: Um, How does your relationship with God look now? Um,
1: You know, very similar to what we've been talking about with personal revelation. I believe that he expects us to live in a way that enables us to receive revelation about how we should live our lives and what course our lives should take. Um, That's, has been very important to me coming to that understanding. And I know that our heavenly parents love us so much and they want to give us all that revelation to guide our lives. And I think that it's so important that we learn to receive that level and clarity of revelation as we're deciding what course our lives should take. Um, I have friends in the in similar situations to me, and they have told me that they feel like they've gotten revelation, um, that they're they're supposed to end up in a same-sex relationship. And you know they want to be as active as they can in the church with their spouse and and raise their family on gospel principles. And you know I have no idea if that's their revelation or not because it's not mine, and you know it's not my place to know. And that could very well be their path. Um, another thing that, with that, that was important for me to realize is that just because they're getting that revelation, it doesn't have any effect on the revelation I'm getting. And that's an answer that I wanted and I prayed for and pleaded for for so long was that I could be you know, that I could feel that, that answer, that I could be in a same-sex relationship. And that's not something that ever happened for me. And that's when I had to change my prayers and figure out where God wanted me. And, you know, just because, you know, they're getting revelation saying one thing, it doesn't, it doesn't change what God's telling me and just having that confidence in that. And it also made it easier for me to choose God's plan because You know, sometimes when you say the phrase, the covenant path, it seems like, you know, just a giant funnel that everyone in the church is tipped into. And it's like, "Hey, everyone just be on the path. And it seems really impersonal. And hearing that people get different answers about different paths they take in life made it much easier, I think, for me to really feel like I did have a choice. And it made it much easier for me to choose what God had in store for me.
0: This is perhaps the best episode we've ever done on personal revelation. And the principles you're teaching about honoring others' personal revelation, I believe in. And my personal revelation doesn't give me the ability to judge your personal revelation. Exactly. And your personal revelation shouldn't sort of be influenced on me to get the same personal revelation. Um, And I love your parents honoring your personal revelation at times. Well, I think the whole time, to be honest, Yeah. and just saying, I trust you. And I think it's one of the best things we can do as parents is, is we need our younger kids connect with us and we need to make a lot of decisions. But as they age up, we need to teach them to get personal revelation for themselves. We're not meant to be their driver of their car. Once they're a certain age, they need to drive the own car and they need to get on with their lives. And I think one of the best things we can give them is the ability to get personal revelation and teach them that that is not, sometimes I think it's like a temple recommend. We've got to have a temple recommend and be in a perfect standing with the church to get good personal revelation. But as a parent, I know I want to give my kids advice no matter where they are. Mm -hmm. And I think you're teaching us that. And Um, I think culturally sometimes think, well, I've got to fully return before my parents Emily's parents will reopen the communication channel with me and I can now kind of be within the circle of their love and or their influence. And so I think you're in a practical situation telling, helping our listeners understand this. I think you've kind of inferred this, but how, how should we treat couples in same sex marriages?
1: the same that we would treat anyone in a, in a heterosexual marriage. Um, like I said, I know, I know many same sex couples and, and some of them are active in the church. Some of them aren't, some of them have never even been members of the church. And I just have such a love for them and their journey because, you know, even if you feel like you get the answer to be in a same sex relationship, um, people are still going to judge you for that. And I think, you know, it's it's not easy at all to do that, especially if you want to remain active in the church and just being able to understand that we can't understand everyone's lives and just, you know, reaching out with love and just treating them completely normally because they are and they're just on their path and we're just on ours. And, you know, we're just supposed to help each other on the way and, and not judge what's going on with anyone else.
0: It's a great answer. And I've learned listeners that often the best answer for that question comes from, you know, people like Connor that are gay and are LDS. Um, you're want to be married to a woman, but you doesn't, but often because you know how hard the path is, you have the most empathy for people that chose that path. And you, I love what you said. You just love and support and wish them the best and not sitting on the sidelines cheering that their marriage will end. Um, but just wanting the best for them. And I think that's relieving. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And then you can just love and support. So any more thoughts on that? Um, Anything else you want to talk about that I've missed?
1: Um, I think, you know, just with watching, well, like going through my life, and then watching friends that I have in similar situations, um, just I think sometimes we don't realize how honest God wants us to be with Him and i had to learn to be very honest with him and to let him know about all my bitterness and all my anger and the love that i had for the guys that i dated and just telling him everything and once i really opened up to him like that you know god can take it he really can he can he can handle our strong emotions and once i was able to open up and be honest with him um he matched that honesty and even exceeded it with what he would tell me and the things that i needed to do and I think that that's just so important to really feeling like we're connected with him, that we don't have to hide our feelings. And we it's okay if we hate the church sometimes. And if we're mad at our life that we're living and like, he can handle that. He's not going to be mad. And, you know, like that goes for forgiveness too. Like when we ask for forgiveness with Heavenly Father, it's not because we've done something that hurt him or made him mad. And, you know, that's, I think what we think, because when we, you know, ask for forgiveness for someone here on earth, it's because we've offended them in some way. But in my experience, it's not like that with Heavenly Father. Um, It's a, it's a, just a growth process. You know, I make a sacrifice and by repenting and he blesses me a little bit, which builds my faith a little bit, which allows me to change just a little bit more. And it's a cycle. I don't think he's ever been angry with me or anything like that. And I've come to learn that He really does just love me the same amount from when I was a child to when I was struggling in junior high and high school, when I was on my mission, when I was doing things that precluded me from a temple recommend to where I am now. His love was just so strong and constant. And, you know, I watch other people and friends in the same situation where they feel like they're doing everything that they can and they're they're trying their hardest and they're just doing everything that they can and things just aren't getting better for them. And it is so hard for me to watch that because I know what it feels like to be there. And it really is hard for me to watch them be in that pain. And in this trial, a lot of times it is just pain and it's overwhelming and crushing and it just hurts. And so sometimes it feels like help should be coming and it just doesn't come. And watching people deal with that is is one of the most difficult things for me. Um, but I know that if we really just, if we don't put a time limit on when God's help comes and, you know, we we try to do, you know, all that we can. But for me, I, I had to make, you know, this unequivocal decision that I was going to stay on the covenant path. And it wasn't until... I did that, that I I got peace about what journey that I, I really should take. And I'm not saying that everyone has to make that decision to get that peace, but I just think, you know, sometimes it's unexpected things that we need to do or not do or just wait. And sometimes we just have to sit in that discomfort and in that pain of not knowing. And I know that the Savior will come and sit with us in that pain and that the help will come even if it's not anywhere close to the time that we wanted to
0: anything else comes to your mind for our listeners
1: i don't i don't think so i really just think you know the world especially now and when i was growing up just taught me that if i was having attractions towards men then i was gay and that was my whole identity and i think that really overpowered my identity as a child of god And so just being able to really come to understand the depth of love that God has for us no matter what and that Jesus Christ really knows exactly what it feels like to be gay and to be dealing with all of this um, really helped me be able to kind of rebalance my identity. Being gay is a huge part of who I am. Um, It makes me very unique in a lot of ways, but it no longer overpowers my identity as a child of God. Um, that is, that has been able to become, you know, the overpowering identity and being gay is a part of that. Just like, you know, that I like doing things outdoors and I like water and I like playing with dogs and with my nieces and nephews, all of those things are part of my identity, but being gay no longer overpowers everything in my life. Um, which is easier said than done, I think.
0: You're going to be a marriage and family therapist. Yes, that's the plan. I think you're going to be a really good one. Thank you. I hope so. You're 22, if I remember right. Mm -hmm. You know, just as me speaking to Connor, but all my LGBTQ friends, I have to think part of the reason Connor at age 22 is where he is, is he's had to learn so much on his own. Our institutional programs and structure don't really have a roadmap for you, a specific plan. And I think those plans are good, but I think for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, it often causes them to just have to go to Heavenly Father Mm -hmm. and have to develop that relationship that really our plans and programs are trying to get us to do anyway, But and the relationship with the Savior and that deep personal revelation that you've received. And I also recognize you are who you are because of you've been stretched, really difficult ways. That's where I go back to your leaving premortal life and your heavenly father just, you know, I see him full of tears because he loves you, but he knows what's ahead of you. But he also knows the 40,000 foot picture of your life and what you'd be able to do. And I would say that, you know, as you go through your life, you're going to look back to this foundational experience of coming to terms with your orientation, developing personal revelation, getting, serving this mission getting a feeling about your career having the experience of dating men that i think helped clarify for you the road you wanted to be in and i admire your parents for trusting you enough just to say and i think they'd love you just as much if you have told them my path is to marry a man mm-hmm.
1: they would they actually told me that while i was dating men they said if you end up with a man he'll just be like another son in law and there won't be anything different
0: and i think that just that love you felt from your parents and support this sort of unconditional love that we trust you and you chart your path. And we don't have a secret agenda for you or we're just going to let you chart your path and we're going to try to do everything we can to help you make a thoughtful decision. We're going to honor that decision. Sometimes I wonder if that just helps our youth make better decisions because they feel that love and they feel more ownership of their future. They don't have to sort of prove a certain path. I don't know if that's true, but I love your family. I love your sister-in-law and your entire family. I sense it's been helpful. But listeners, this is just tender ground. I Sometimes I meet with a guest and I just get the impression they're very mis, um, old spiritual spirit from the pre-earth life and biologically they're younger. Um, but their life experiences is partly because of who they were in the pre-mortal life. And that makes their beautiful life mission possible. So the world's a better place for you, Connor, and all of you that are listening, that um, you're if you don't feel like you're where Connor is, you can get there and you can get to this level of peace, this level of hope, this level of relationship with your heavenly parents, this level of uh, not being ashamed that you're gay or trans or lesbian or wherever you are. And that indeed, this is part of who you're supposed to be. And this makes your life mission possible. And that will become clear to you as you continue to make your way forward. And your best days are ahead of you. I would believe that Connor's very happiest days are ahead of him. And I think he's going to be a great husband and father. But I think you're going to also help people in a lot of different ways. I think you're going to be an incredible therapist. Thank you. And I think it's partly because you just know that world. And with your personal experience and then the education experience you're getting, you're going to help a lot of people. You're going to help a lot of people through sort of normal religious chal- channels and and through the, the therapy. And you probably won't call it religion, but you'll help them just connect in a way that is some of the principles you've learned in your path as a Latter-day Saint. Anything else that comes to your mind you want to say before we sign off? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> So we're recording us on a beautiful day, May Day, Saturday in Salt Lake City. I wish every day were May because this is one of my favorite times (laughs) of the year in Utah. But thank you, listeners, for joining us. This is Connor Berg and Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.